The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. I'm Lucas. I got Chris here. Uriah sadly not going to be able to join us tonight, but that's okay. We got plenty of stuff to talk about, including the Sixers blowout win against the San Antonio Spurs, and we are recording this right after that game. So, Chris, let's go ahead and get into it, bud. All right. How you doing, Lucas? How's your week been? As we talked about last time, uh, midweek, I sprained my ankle. Um, mm-hmm. Besides that, I had to pay a lot to replace two tires today, so I'm not thrilled about that, but I, I manage. You? I've been spending most of my week trying to edit short film I shot for one of my production classes. That's been taking up a lot of my time. <laughs> um, you better share that with us in our uh, Slack feed. I, I would love to see that. I will, for sure. For sure. And we can just jump right in now, talk about the Spurs game again. Somewhat shockingly, a, a blowout in the Sixers' favor. 134-99 to was the final score. This was notably the Sixers' first game with fans in the stands in the Wells Fargo Center since March of last season. So that might have put some life into their bones. Um, Lucas, a pretty strong outing from just about everyone who was on the floor tonight. What were some of your big takeaways? Uh, first and foremost, Matisse Thibel has been, he's been selective, but he's been very efficient as of late. This isn't the first time that he's gone a perfect, you know, shooting from the floor. Uh, he did it against Chicago and he's doing like, he's not forcing his offense. He's letting it come and he's being very efficient lately. So I can't complain about that. It's nice to see everybody get playing time, but can I just, Terrence Ferguson, you had seven minutes to make a basket. You only took one shot, and you didn't record anything else besides a foul. Come on, man. You are not helping yourself keep getting another NBA job after this season. Like, it's not looking good for the former, what was he, the 21st pick uh, a couple years back? Yeah, no, it's not looking good for him. 
Danny Green and Seth Curry lit it up great. Ben had a really good passing game, aggressive in transition. Tobias was Tobias. I mean, there's there's really, I mean, it, it wasn't great that Bradley got injured, but he played well when he was out there. I don't think the injury is too severe, though. And um, another good game from Corkmaz. He had that rough stretch in February. Now, March, he's starting to look more like a, like a premier shooter, which is great. Yeah, like, like I mentioned and you mentioned, not really a ton to complain about when you win like this, especially when you win in this fashion without your best player on the floor. I thought Bradley and Dwight Howard were both pretty solid, um, if not really good. Um, in their minutes at center, the bench stepped up again, which has been a theme of sorts over the past couple of weeks, the first few games before the All-Star break and the first few since. Like, the bench has been playing really well, which is a nice a nice change. Um, Korkmaz had that run of, a, like, three straight triples in the fourth quarter. That was really fun. Um we got some b-ball Paul time at the end, which was which was enjoyable. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, just a really solid Tobias game, a really solid Ben game. Fourteen points, nine assists doesn't really pop off the stat sheet, but some really really strong takes to the rim from Ben. Again, embracing that contact, making those aggressive plays. That's how he's going to take the next step. So some really positive signs from the two main guys who are going to have to keep stepping up without Joel. And, I mean, like, the Spurs are a good team. Um, granted, they're missing their best player and DeMar DeRozan. This isn't a full-strength San Antonio team. But they've been a tough out all season. They're in the playoff race out in the West, which is obviously much harder than being in the playoff race in the East. So this wasn't some team that has been rolling over all season. So I, it's a pretty impressive win from Philadelphia's perspective. It should also be noted that they're also without LaMarcus Aldridge, who is now waiting to be traded or bought out because he and the team have agreed that they will part ways. And we'll talk more about Aldridge later. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. They were out without DeRozan, and they had this who was their leading scorer. So it, it hurt them in that regard. But you know what? They have a nice young group of perimeter players. They need to draft better at the you know big man spots. But outside of that, I mean, they got a good future, and they just – it just was not their game. They're a small team, and Philly, even without uh, without Embiid, is a big team. So it just the matchups weren't in their favor. Well said, and we can talk about the Wizards game now. That was another pretty comfortable victory for the Sixers. One twenty-seven to one hundred and one was the final score. Joel had a good night, but obviously the the big storyline from that game was his knee injury in the third quarter left the game with 23 points and seven rebounds in just 20 minutes so he was obviously on his way to a much bigger night but now he's out two to three weeks with the bone bruise thankfully it wasn't worse it looked much worse uh, when it happened but lucas what first were your takeaways from that game and then secondly how did you react when when you saw joel go down well, outside Joel, I really am liking the way that Shake Milton and Corkmas have started this second half of the season with their hot play. They both scored 18 points, shot above um, Milton, shot above 50% from the field. Corkmas shot about, what is it, 80% from the three point line. So they both were efficient scorers in that game. If the, if the Sixers can get at least like, 10 to 14 points from each of them coming off the bench on a regular basis on somewhat efficient shooting, they're going to be in a good place because the starters, we know what we're getting there. 
it's just if the it's the bench unit and the bench unit is if we can get consistency from Korkmaz and Milton, then the Sixers are in a good place. And yeah, regards to uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, yeah, I was just gonna echo your sentiments on the bench again. Furkan has had a really solid stretch here. This is the best game we've seen from Shake in a minute. Shake hasn't been great of late, but he had 18 points on 8 of 14 shooting. So uh, a really solid performance on the bench. But I'll, I'll let you talk about Embiid. So when I first, because uh, I didn't get to, I, I was, uh, I had something to do that that night. So I, I had a pre-arranged thing that I couldn't be up. So I couldn't watch the game. But when I saw the notification on my phone, I uh, said some words that I can't say on the podcast here. Um, glad to hear that it wasn't, you know, a, a long-term injury. Uh, I think, and we've seen it so far, that Tony Bradley has been a revelation as a fill-in starter for the Sixers. Uh, he's playing very well. Efficient basketball, good defender. So in the short term, I'm not concerned. If the team feels like they need to upgrade the depth chart behind, around, besides White and Tony Bradley, by all means, I'm not confident in Vincent Poirier and... B-ball, uh, Paul is just a little bit too young to be contributing in a play, you know. Ew. I mean, I mean, they're the first team in the East. Like, you gotta... I love B-ball, Paul. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, Chris. I love him. And I love what he did in the G League, though, not the finals game. Not the, you know, title game. But if you want to upgrade over Poirier, I'm okay with it. I'm more than accepting of it. I think that's fair. You got there are some options in free agency, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, but overall, I'm glad that is short term. I think it might hurt his overall chances of giving the MVP. But at the end of the day, as long as he's healthy for the playoffs, that's the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm just mostly thankful that it wasn't worse. Um, I mean, everyone's this season from Joe himself to Doc to Tobias and guys around the team have talked about how well. Beat is taking care of his body this season. So it, it's a bummer to see him go down. It's a bummer to see him miss potentially a few weeks of playing time. Um, like you said, this probably puts an end to his MVP campaign unless he comes back sooner than expected and just goes on a tear. It's going to be tough with the games he's missed to win that award. But I'm mostly just thankful it's not too bad. I, I do think the Sixers are okay enough to stay afloat. Like, I don't think they're going to go on a 12-game losing streak or anything. Um, if tonight was any indication, they might even keep the number one seed or close to it. So I'm uh, not too concerned, just, like you said, but it, it was a real big bummer to see him go down. I didn't feel that great. My stomach was a little bit queasy that night. You know, just kind of a bummer. But it's good mm-hmm. to know he'll be back sooner than later. Well, I'll, I'll say this. To, you know, I saw this on Twitter, and I think it was one of the guys from the Painted Lines. I, I forget if it was Brian or somebody else. Brian Jacobs, for those who don't uh, follow the Painted Line. Uh, I believe it was one. Actually, I think it was Harrison Grimes. Uh, anyway, somebody tweeted, last time Joel Embiid missed a long period of stretch. Ben Simmons had the Sixers going on a 16-game win streak, and he was averaging near triple-double. So... That's one I, one way to put think about it. Whenever Joel's missing a long period of time, Ben gets more aggressive. We get to see a glimpse of what he could possibly be if he had his own team. 
Uh, this game against the Spurs, he didn't really have to do that because the game was in hand easily. And he has much better supporting cast now or supporting cast relative to what his, uh, what you need to build around him. So we'll see what happens. But I mean, like you said, it's not a long-term thing. And I think that's what everybody's grateful for. And I think they'll stay afloat. Um, they might not be the number one seed because, you know, Brooklyn's right on the tails, but as long as they don't draw past the third seed, I don't see there being an issue and I don't see that happening. But let me go ahead and transition now. And we're going to talk about, you know, what the next few weeks will look like without Joel. And we kind of already touched on this, but Chris, what do we think the record is going to be during these stretch of games? Assuming that Joel Embiid returns in three weeks against Minnesota, the games are against the Knicks, Bucks, Kings, Knicks again, Warriors, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Cavs. So what do you think their potential record could be? Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty difficult stretch. Nothing, I mean, that Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Warriors, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets road trip we talked about a couple pods ago is going to be uh, a real test. It was going to be a test when Embiid was healthy. It's going to be an especially difficult test now that he's out. Um, the Knicks have played some good basketball of late. The Bucks are the Bucks, So it's going to be a pretty tough stretch. I don't expect them to go on you know, 16-game win streak um, like they did a, a couple years ago. I would expect something like around 500 basketball or be, maybe a little bit below. Like, I don't have terribly high expectations. Um, these past couple games aside, the Sixers have traditionally struggled a lot without Embiid. I, I assume that's going to be the case at some point or another. Um, as good as Ben and Tobias have looked this season, I don't know if this is sustainable, especially with how condensed the schedule is. Like winning by 35 on the third game in four nights without your best player is just like an aberration. It doesn't happen very often. So I'm expecting some slippage, but hopefully nothing too bad. I'm a little bit more pessimistic here, Chris. I'm not going to lie. Um, I like what the team looks like, but this is like the worst stretch of games for him to be out. The Knicks are playing some of the best defense in the league, and I'm pretty sure – like they're gonna, uh, I, I, they have the personnel to give Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris some problems, um, and they're good at defending the three. The Kings, that's a winnable game. Bucks, probably not without him because there's nobody to check Giannis. I think they'll probably split that series with the Knicks. They'll lose to the Bucks, win against the Kings. So what we got? Uh, that's that's two and two right there. Uh, I suspect that they'll probably lose against... Actually, you know what? I, I think they could win that game. I think Ben is going to do something against Steph. Like, I know Steph's one of the best shooters in NBA history, but that's kind of like Ben's MO to go against like the team's best offensive player, and I see Ben giving Seth some problems there, so that would be interesting. So, you know what? I'm going to say a win there. So that's three and two. Lakers without... Well, they're already without Anthony Davis and Chris. I don't know if you heard, but they had another major injury. They lost Jared Dudley. Gosh, I don't know how they're going to survive to a, spray, a torn MCL. Mm-hmm. So on a serious note, probably Jared Dudley's career is over now because he was barely playing and he's at the age where probably won't come back from that. So the Lakers game, I'm going to say they probably lose that just because LeBron's taken actually – no, I'll say that they win that. So that's two, four and two. I think they lose the Clippers game. I think they lose the Nuggets game. So that's four and four. And the Cavs, 
Well, they lost to them last time with Embiid, so I'm going to say they probably lose. So four and five. I think four and five. Okay. Is, uh, you said you're more pessimistic than me, and and predicted about the same thing that I did. Yeah, I when when I first looked at it, but then as I'm thinking about this in my head as we're going, I'm just like, oh, well, maybe. So may it's slightly less pessimistic, slightly less uh, more pessimistic, you know, slightly. So yeah, I think we're close. I think we're expecting around five hundred on this trip. Though it wouldn't surprise me if they go like. Uh, three, no, one and eight during this stretch, too. It's possible. It just depends on, you know, who's on that night and who's not. Um, but it could be an interesting, it could be an issue. I'll tell you what, if Tony Bradley's uh, injury ends up making him miss more than, like, one game, this could get ugly quick. Because, like you said, like I said, you only have Dwight who's proven that he can't start anymore for this team anyway um you got vincent poirier who probably should be in europe it it could get ugly there but i guess that this goes into our next point chris which center do you think will will be the most productive in Embiid's place howard or bradley assuming bradley's healthy well i mean production in the sense that who's going to put up more points and rebounds it's probably dwight um Bradley might be the more solid player, though, again, Dwight has played some really good basketball of late, Um, as has Bradley. He's been really solid on the glass, better defensively than I expected him to be. In the end, I'm pretty comfortable with that two-man group. They're nothing special. They aren't going to win games by themselves, but they're at least serviceable backups who can maybe hold down the fort for a couple weeks. I I would say Howard's probably going to get more He's probably going to close more games. He's probably going to put up more points and rebounds and blocks and stuff because that's just the nature of his game. But I think they'll both be fine. I I would really genuinely not be opposed to, like, giving Paul Reed some time off the bench. Like, I, I at least explore it. You know, there's really no harm done with, you know, it, it, it's not like Tony Bradley or Dwight Howard are going to be around for a long time. Um, he is probably the... G League MVP, so I I would be in support of that, but yeah, I think Howard's probably the answer here. Well, let me ask you, do you think the Sixers wouldn't want to try to re-sign Tony Bradley, or do you think he'll be out of their price range and some uh, rebuilding team would nab him for an overpaid contract? Is that is that what your thoughts with Bradley? He's like a veteran minimum center. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to go like break the bank to sign him. Um well, then I wouldn't see why he wouldn't come back to the Sixers, especially. Yeah, say, he, he might, but he's not. My point is that he's not anyone of extreme value that's going to be part of the future plans here. Like he might be around again to be the third string center, but that's probably about where you should tap out with him. Well, are you saying that you think that uh, Paul can be a future back, a long term backup for the Sixers? Yeah, I, I would put the chances of him being better than Bradley long term pretty high um is it just because he can space the floor more i mean i think we kind of know what tony bradley is is giving you at this point he's a pretty limited center and athlete um we paul reed just broke the g league um (laughs) i know he was like the 56th pick or whatever but it most people had him much higher on the draft boards i had him closer to like 40 i read somewhere that like bad interviews are the reason he dropped as low as he did which is 
normally a pretty dumb reason to not pick a guy, but like he he did just put up like twenty two and twelve in the G League playing great defense. He's switchable, can hit the trailing threes. Like on paper, he fits quite well with what they need next to Ben Simmons in those smaller, more versatile second unit groups. Like I'd be much more interested to pursue that avenue than to just like have Tony Bradley be the backup center for another three years. Okay. Well, I mean, I I I think we saw some stuff from Bradley offensively. You know, he can finish. He actually has a little bit of a post game. You know, he he hit a nice little, you know, turnaround hook shot on uh who was it, Wendell Carter in that Bulls game. I I I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong about Paul cuz I think his you know, his ceiling is higher than Bradley's, but I wouldn't discount Bradley either as a full-time backup center in the NBA moving forward. I mean, he's he's no scrub. I think he's proven that this yeah, season. Yeah, he's like a fine third-string center, but he, he doesn't space the floor. You're, he doesn't defend the perimeter. When you consider how this team is built, like Joe and Ben are going to be around for a while. It'd be nicer to have someone who can space the floor and who can switch with those second-unit groups. So... I think Paul Reed's the better fit and the the more intriguing talent, personally. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying, uh, and I'm not disagreeing. I just like I like Bradley a lot. I know I like Bradley more than you and Uriah. I just I I also understand the idea of Paul too. And who knows, you might get your wish with Paul. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but moving on. Which non-center players do you think will uh, produce more points in the uh, Embiid absence? Well, I mean, the easy answer is, like, pretty much everyone. Like, Embiid's averaging 30 a game, so that's 30 points the Sixers need to replace right off the bat. Tobias and Ben are probably going to have some bigger games over this upcoming stretch. Uh, We've seen the bench play really solid basketball of late. If they continue to hit shots like they've been hitting shots, we might get some more big nights out of, you know, the cork mazes of the world. And, of course, Dwight and, to a lesser degree, Bradley are probably going to put up some, some like, 10-10 nights as well. So, uh, generally speaking, it's going to be group effort, but everyone's going to have to step up a show out. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with you that it is going to be group effort, but I would not be surprised here. I, I My suspicion is it's probably going to be Korkmaz, but I, I suspect one of he, he or Milton will go off because Milton always seems to step it up when there's a star missing, which is really weird. I guess it's a mentality thing for him, but it could be Milton, though my suspicion is Korkmaz because with a faster pace, that's going to give Ben doing Ben things. It's going to give Korkmaz more shots and not saying that Korkmaz doesn't get those shots with Joel, but a faster pace is pretty good thing for Korkmaz's game, so I, I I think Korkmaz is going to end up having a really good month here just because of that. Yeah, that's that's certainly possible. I I, I think multiple people are going to have the chance to step up and do do things that they normally wouldn't get the chance to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Embiid controls so much of the offensive real estate, and it'll be interesting to see how these next few weeks play out. Mm-hmm. And just to continue this conversation about the center position... Lucas, there's a, a chance, given that Embiid is going to miss some time, that Daryl Moore might look at the free agency market. This is something that you wrote on um, earlier this week. 
in case anything happens to Howard or Bradley, or in case they aren't happy with that duo running the center minutes, I mean, in case something possibly did happen to Bradley tonight, um, we'll see how bad that is, or if it's a non-issue. Um, I'm not sure yet. I haven't seen the reports, but uh, I saw some Twitter notifications. Bradley said he just tweaked it. Uh, he says he's fine. So okay. we'll, um, in case, continue though. Yeah. So. This is one of the names you wrote about, Lucas. What What are your thoughts on on potentially looking to sign Demarcus Cousins? Well, my thing is with Demarcus, he's being picky. I think he's waiting until after the trade deadline to see where things shake up. I don't think he's being picky. <laughs> well, I mean, he's. I mean, I know he was inefficient shooting, but he is still. He still showed flashes of the old Boogie Cousins. You know, he's been a free agent since February twenty third. I think he's trying to go to a t- contender where he can play. Surprised he didn't go to the Nets yet. That that's mind blowing. But mm, there might be more to that. There might be because of the James Harden aspect there. But he might just be waiting to see where all the chips land after post trade deadline, which I think is smart. I think the Sixers would be thrilled for that. Um, you'd obviously have the trader wave Poirier, or honestly, more likely Ferguson. Um, because he's literally done nothing for this team. I think he can still space the floor. He's shooting around 33% from the three-point line this year. Not really efficient from the floor overall, but he's a great passer, can defend around the rim still, solid rebounder. He's still himself, but without the offensive you know, efficiency. <laughs> that, that's, that's the best way to put it. He, he's lacking athleticism now, and he can't be as nearly as deadly, deadly on the offensive end. And, I mean, he can still pass. He can still defend. So I wouldn't mind it. I think he would be an upgrade over Dwight and, you know, Bradley. But at the same time, there is that locker room aspect that you have to worry about with uh, Cousins. So it's a wait and see. I It's a coin toss. I honestly wouldn't bring somebody like Cousins into the – Locker room, I know he hasn't had problems as of late, but with the history there, I'd rather... I like the idea, and, you know, he was in my article, but and he would be the only free agent that would be a clear upgrade over Dwight and Bradley, but there are just some downsides with him, for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, right off the bat, I think... I, I disagree with the idea that he's a clear upgrade, without a doubt. Like, he was really pretty bad in Houston. It, it was not pretty. Again, 37% from the field is not great when you're a center. Like, Boogie, without the offensive efficiency, isn't much. He's he's not a good defender. He never really was a great defender. Um, he's lost the step now. He's an even worse defender. If he's shooting 37, 38% from the field, that that's just not giving you much positive value at all. Um, I, I'm not worried about the locker room stuff, but I, I don't think it's like he's just waiting to see how the chips fall. I think it's that people haven't been trying to go out and sign him. I know his agent did a lot of heavy lifting when he was getting cut to make it seem like, you know, there's a line around the block waiting to try to pick him up and that all these teams were going to like consider him. And he was going to try to go to a winning team. And then he hasn't signed for like a few weeks now. I, it seems pretty clear to me that there's just not, a line there. I mean, he might get picked up at some point by someone. Brooklyn makes sense. Not really. Like, they need defense in the front court at this point, especially with Blake there. Um, and DJ, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're full of, as far as centers who can't defend in space go. Um, so, 
I, I like him in Boston. Boston or a, or he goes back to Lakers. A situational second or third string center, he might be okay at this point. Maybe there's more in the tank that he just didn't get to unleash in Houston, but we haven't seen that in a while. He's gone through two big injuries. Um, he's Three. thirty, almost thirty-one now. Like, there's a chance that he's just not good enough to to really play big minutes in this league. I I, I don't think he'd really be an upgrade over Dwight. I think the defense would take a huge step back, and I'm not sure the offensive difference, even with his ability to theoretically space the floor, would be enough to make up for that. So I'm I'm mostly out on the idea of DeMarcus at this point. And Lucas, uh, another name that you mentioned in your article was Jordan Bell, obviously a much younger option. He's only 26, the former Oregon Duck. Last played with Washington earlier this season, only played three games for them before getting cut. What are your thoughts on, on him? If the Sixers want a, a versatile big that can defend them on the perimeter, that's not Brandon Paul, that actually has some NBA games and playoff experience underneath of his belt, then Jordan Bell is the guy. Now, there is downside to Bell, as I wrote. He's never really developed since coming to the league. He's you know super athletic. Somewhat of a decent, a decent defender, not super great. Undersized at six foot eight, offensively very limited. There's some downside, but I mean, he wouldn't be a bad upgrade over Poirier. I think he would be, and I think that's why you bring him in if you don't like Poirier as as your uh, third string center with you know and beat out. Then, yeah, go go with uh, go with Bell. I mean, I like Bell. I don't think it would be a bad, you know, like I said, if you want more defensive versatility on the perimeter, uh, you Bell would be your guy. But, uh, you know, like I said, very limited offensively, uh, is prone to mistakes. So there's a downside to him. But like I said, it's still an upgrade over Poirier. So that's that's where I'm at. Because outside of Paul, you really don't have anybody that can defend the perimeter or at the center position besides Joel and Paul and Joel's out. So that's, yeah. that's why I stand on Bell. Um, I mean, do you know who had better G League stats than Jordan Paul? Jordan Bell? Um, I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, I get it. Yeah, I'm... I mean, like, if if it was we're going to cut Vincent Poirier and sign Jordan Bell to a non-guaranteed contract, I'd be fine with that. I wouldn't be up in arms. That's a reasonable move um it's pretty clear that Poirier is not giving you much of anything at this point um Bell has had his moments in the NBA though few and far between at this point um he's not exactly young it's hard to call him like up and coming he's 26 now he's he's Mm. probably reaching his prime whatever that is so it's some of the upside like factor that was there a couple seasons ago isn't really there anymore um like it'd be if he's your fifteenth man for a, a few weeks, that's okay. But again, I mean, there's really no reason to play Jordan Bell over Paul Reed. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's really like no justification for that. So I I over Bell and Cousins. Like I'd again much rather just like throw Paul Reed out there for fifteen minutes and see what he does. Uh, before yeah, I, I get it, I get it, and, and there was one other name that w- wasn't on the agenda, but I'll mention him. Uh, was Ian Mahimi, thirty-four uh, year old veteran, started thirty-five games for the Wizards last year. 
Uh, I think he would be an upgrade over Poirier yet again. Um, good, solid veteran to have in your locker room. Can defend the interior, uh, rebound pretty well, um, defend the rim. That's that's pretty much his MO. Um, despite being 30, 35 now, I think he would still be a, a um, you know, he does. He still has some left in the tank. I think he averaged seven and and five last season on pretty efficient shooting. Any thoughts on him, Chris? Yeah, I mean, again, like he he might be better than Poirier, and that's that's fine, that's reasonable. But like Vincent Poirier is the fifth most important center on this roster. Uh, I'd probably I'd rather try to like use his two point six million or whatever as trade filler than just cut him and sign someone else to like a 10-day contract um Mahimi did start 35 games last season as you mentioned he's probably better than Cousins or or Bell in that respect Uh, defensively he gives you more at the rim but again (laughs) I'd rather just like try on B ball Paul, see how he fits. Then that's no, the reason why no, no, over takeaway here. Is, is there any free agent centers that catch your eye? You got right the guy like of a thon maker. Um I mean like there's a reason people are free agents at this point. We're halfway through the season. Like if they're a free agent right now, they're probably not that appealing, you know. So my okay. my main theme of this pod is just gonna be like give B ball Paul a try. You really love B-Ball Paul, don't you? My message. He's the MVP. He he might be the Sixers' only MVP this season, unfortunately. Oh, don't 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 say it like that. Don't be don't be a Debbie Downer. Who knows? But yeah. Yep. Yeah, but let, let's switch gears from centers, and we're gonna talk about Uriah's favorite player, Matisse Leibel. So, Chris, how do you feel about him uh, stepping up his offensive game after the All Star break? Uh, I mean, I feel great. It, it's nice to see. It's always good when Matisse has these hot streaks. He had a couple last season where he just went on a tear for a few games. I don't think this is like some indication of him taking the next step and becoming Clay Thompson or anything. I'm sure he's going to match this with a cold spell at some point. I, I don't think he's magically turned into a great shooter, but if he's going to contribute to this team in significant chunks in the playoffs, he's going to have to hit some of these spot-up threes. Hopefully this boosts his confidence and gets him to keep taking them because even if he's not hitting them, just taking them is a pretty good first step, and it makes the defense at least look his way. So hopefully it keeps up because he's been really great on defense of late. And, yeah, I mean, that, that that's my takeaway. Well, I, I like you. I'm I'm happy about it for sure. I think we all want Matisse to be an efficient offensive player. And I'll go. And what I'm about to say next is going to qu- kind of uh, answer my question for you uh, after I'm done talking about this. So I won't answer it afterwards. But I think the reason why we're seeing this offensive increase it has to be the fact that he's just being more selective when he attacks offensively. He's not. You know, his shot attempts are down, but he's being smarter about it. Like, he's not forcing his offense now. He's just, if the opportunity is there, take it. If not, don't. And I think that's smart for him at this point. Until he can figure out what's going on with the shot mechanics or develop a secondary skill, you know, whether it's dribbling or, you know, you say an NBA player can't dribble, but you know what I mean. You know, he needs to tighten up his dribble, be able to attack off the dribble, 
something along those lines. Until he can do that, you know, he has to be selective so that he can be efficient. And that's what's happening here. So, Chris, why do you think there's more effectiveness to his offense? He's always been pretty selective. Again, he can't do much else, so there's not, like, that's just his game is spotting up and shooting threes and occasionally cutting to the rim. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I think this is really just a hot spell. I don't think there's any major overarching change. I think he's just hitting shots, and he'll probably stop hitting shots at some point. <laughs> um I, I don't know if there's really anything more to it than that. I think this is just just a stretch of confident, hot shooting from him, and we'll probably see the opposite side of that coin at some point. I, I you know that could be it, but I guess the final question here, and you can tell that Uriah wrote this one because we all know that Uriah is the biggest Thibel homie uh, Homer um, should. Thai will be starting over Danny Green, Chris. Yes or no? Like we love you, Uriah. You've done so much for us on this podcast, but uh, no, of of course not. Um, no, not like, yet. I understand that people get annoyed with Danny at times. He has some pretty maddening plays on both sides of the ball. He's clearly on his way out. Thibel is clearly the more important long-term piece, but. Danny's a much better shooter still, um, and a pretty solid defender himself. Not on Thibault's level, but not a bad defender by any means. And like like that shooting is really the important thing. Um, like Danny isn't someone we want dribbling around either. He's also pretty severely limited, but he's still a much better shooter, a much better offensive player. And the Sixers need that. Um, I mean, especially with. With Joel out, they're going to need some more points every now and then, some more shots to go up. And when Joel's on the floor with Ben, they, they need the spacing. So um, I, I really like what I've seen from Thibel for a good chunk of this season now. I think his defense is going to earn him a spot in this league long term, even with how poor his offense is. But like Danny Green's the better player. And that, like experience, shooting, there, there's really no reason to go away from him at this point. Yeah, it's Danny, and I wrote about this already. Until Thibault can prove over a long period of time that he's a, a consistent shooter and more than just two or three three-pointers a game, uh, you know, attempts per game, then then in the meantime, Danny should be starting. Like you said, Danny's probably on his way out. I wouldn't be surprised if Danny got traded near the deadline because they're not going to resign him to that cap hold, and he, let's face it, um, if they don't trade him, then that extra, you know, being able to go over the cap for that $15 million that is on his contract will disappear. And I'm pretty sure um, Daryl Morey is not going to let that happen. So even with that in mind, until Thibault can become a, a higher volume, a consistently efficient shooter, he just can't start next with, with Joel and Ben in the same starting five. It just can't happen. So that's that's how I feel about it. Uh, yeah, uh, Chris, I, yeah I, I agree. Uh, mm-hmm. And our our social media question of the week has to deal with Bible too, so we can just dive right into that and talk about him some more. Um, the question was, how important is Thibault's defense for the Sixers? I'll read some of the tweets and Facebook responses we got. Um, one from uh, MVP'd at Shakespeare. Shakes underscore burner on Twitter said very important, probably a top 15 defender. 
It's a bit of a hot take from him. <laughs> um, at Gabe Sixers, said as crucial as his as his vlogs, which I believe was meant in a derogatory sense, but I quite enjoyed Matisse's blogs, so that's unfortunate for him. But um, to Facebook, Cone Adam Adama said, "Very come playoff time, we are going to need him. Plus, he started to develop his offensive games now. We just need what we have." Pickup cousins or Aldridge off the bench. We've already talked about that, but yeah. So Lucas, I'll let you answer it now. How important do you think Thibault's defense is for this team? I honestly think, in terms of perimeter defenders, Thibault's top ten. Argue maybe it. Nah, not not top five yet because he's still got Kawhi, PG, Ben, um, Jimmy Butler, of course. Um, well, hold up. Can you think of five perimeter defenders better than Thibault? Because I can only think of four off the top of my head. I mean, like Marcus Smart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, top top ten. But, you know, he, he's pushing himself there. He's, he's He might get there one day, top five. Um, so it's important. It's pretty important. He's going to be key to slowing down the likes of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Dur- maybe not Kevin Durant because he's pretty small, but like Kyrie Irving, James Harden when it comes to a playoff series against the Nets and most other perimeter players in any playoff series. Um, he was one of the few people that actually had any success against uh, Jason Tatum and um, Jalen Brown last year. In the Well, more Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum scorched him, but that was a size difference thing. But, you know, he's going to be important. He's the team's second best perimeter defender, which is high praise considering that you have Ben Simmons. Like uh, I forget who said it off the top of my head, but one of the guys said that he's his offensive game is coming along, which we talked about. Yeah, it's true. So hopefully, the offensive game can sustain, and defensively, he's he's lockdown guy. I mean, I would say that. He, I mean, he slowed down the lights of De'Aaron Fox. Zach Levine did not have a great game against. The Sixers recently, what was it, like 16 points? So, yeah, I think I will, yeah, I would say pretty important. Yeah, I I agree. He's a really good defender. I said top 15 was a hot take. Like, he he probably is top 15. It's a bit weird because he doesn't play as much as a lot of the other top-tier defenders. His offense is much worse. That's why he doesn't play as much. But he's a really special defender who creates havoc in a way that no one else really does. Um, lots of deflections and pokeaways and weak side blocks and stuff that very few defenders can emulate. Um, his instincts and his athleticism are off the charts. He's going to play in the playoffs, even with how poor his offense is, which speaks a lot about his says a lot about his defense that he's going to be a playoff piece. You know, I mean, he he's just really good on that end. I If he became like a 38% shooter on four or five attempts a game from deep, that'd be a game changer. Mm-hmm. But as is, he's still pretty important. He's going to handle some big matchups in the postseason, in the regular season. He's a really great answer to the elite point guards of the world. Um, you know, some guys might be able to get him into some foul trouble still. You know, Kyrie Harden, some of those more shifty um off-balance type of guys, but for the most part, Thibault's just a really good point-of-attack defender, great in the zone when the Sixers do decide to go to it. So they're going to get a lot of use out of him, even if the offense doesn't 
come along in a big way. Uh, ideally, it would, but I, I do tend to agree that he's a, a really important piece, as is. Remember when the season started and he wasn't in the rotation? We were all thinking, oh gosh, what if this is the end of the Matisse Thibel era and Philly? Isn't it crazy how yeah. much things have changed? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm proud to say that I, I never subscribed to that. I was always a staunch supporter <laughs> the whole time. Never said a bad word against them. So never. never. Never happened. I was never always the number happened. one fan. But yeah, he, I, I mean, I think at this point we all know that that was just so he could ramp up after missing training camp. Uh, yeah. Well, well, I mean, it's easy to panic when guys who you think are going to play don't play and to overthink it when he's just coming back from an injury. Um, but he's been really good this year. He's even taken a step up, I think, from last season. So hopefully he can continue doing, doing what he's doing. Do you think Matisse will end up being the Sixers version of Tony Allen from Rivers Championship team in 2008? Um, I mean, that's a really high bar to set. Tony Allen's one of the best to ever do it on defense. Mm-hmm. The Sixers winning a championship is a very high bar to set. So, we, I mean, we can't really say that until they get there, you know. It's hard to mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And we, we need to see how this team does in the playoffs. But he, he has the potential to be really special, that kind of defender. Like, the upside is there. Again, the amount of ground that he covers is unlike just about anyone else in the league. So... He, he certainly has the, the upside. I will say that when I use Tony Allen as a comparison, they are two completely different defenders, though. Tony Allen was more of a physical defender, whereas uh, Thibault's more of a finesse, will-pick-your-pocket type guy, though not saying that Tony Allen didn't uh, pick your pocket, but it was much more aggressive. And that was just a different era back then, too, almost... 10 years ago for uh, what was the last year he played like 2016. So like at least five years ago, but I think Chris, it's time for you to play us out, bud. Alrighty. Thanks again, everyone for tuning in to another episode of the B-Ball Paul podcast. <laughs> we really appreciate you spending the time of week with us to talk Sixers and Paul Reed, and we will have some exciting guests coming up in the future. So we hope you stay tuned. If you're tuning in on iTunes, Google Play, wherever, please leave us a five-star review if you feel so inclined. It would really help us out. You know, comment, like, whatever. Just, we would really appreciate it. And we're excited to keep talking Sixers in the future. So thanks, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.